Hello, and welcome to Joy Christian Community Church. Each week we strive to bring you Bible-based, Christ-centered teaching so that you will grow alive, deep, and bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. And now, here's Pastor Clayton with this week's message. I like a lot of Christmas songs. There's a lot of beautiful Christmas songs, aren't there? So many that it's a shame we actually just only sing them like during the Christmas time, a very short time. I think they should be sung almost all year long. One is, and we're, actually, we're going to sing it at the very end, uh, is Joy to the World. I love that song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. It's a beautiful song, isn't it? And though it's specifically Christmas and the Lord has come, there's a sense of Advent in here too, because Advent means arrival or coming. The Lord is come. And it is also a song of preparation. And that's what Advent is also. It is a time of preparation, of preparing ourselves for receiving not only the birth of Christ, our King, but our King who comes again. Preparation is one of those themes that you find in Advent. In Isaiah, it says from our reading, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So we are to have a spirit of preparation. But I kind of wonder how does that play out in our culture? Because, you know, I take a look at our culture, and I don't think the spirit of preparation for Advent is the same spirit of preparation we've got. I mean, there's presents to buy, there's banquets to go to, there's cards to write, there's all sorts of stuff. And sometimes I think the song becomes, joy to the world, it's almost done. I really need my sleep. Yeah, does anybody have that? You see that people get exhausted during this time and they're almost like glad in a way that it's done. And I'm thinking, is is that Advent? Is that Christmas? Is that preparing ourselves? So I thought this morning it would be good to stop, to take a breath for a moment, to focus not on what we have to get done, but focus on what the Lord has done. And by the way, if you want, there are sermon notes. If you want to follow along, it should be in your bulletin. From So we get to focus not on what we have to do. No, there are no... They didn't get in there. Okay. Well, there you go. You can get one afterwards and see how much you remember. <laughs> I like that. Okay, we're going to go from there. Okay, so we're going to focus this morning on what the Lord has done. Because the focus of Advent preparation is receiving what he has done, what God has done, what the Lord has done for us. And we're going to simply take a moment and marvel at all the preparation, what he put in place for our salvation. And so let's this morning just take a moment, breathe, and marvel. We are going to take a look at a number of things, three things. We're going to take a look at how he's prepared the city, the family, 
and the Son. So let's take a look at how he has prepared everything to, down to the details. The city, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, for us, when we read this scripture, it's really easy for that to go by. It's like just the prologue. It's just like, you know, stuff that goes on by. But if you take a moment, it actually has some detail in there that helps us understand God's preparation. It helps us understand who Jesus is. Galilee, a region of Galilee, was not a good region to come from, especially from a Jewish or Jerusalem perspective. It was often called Galilee of the Gentiles because there were a lot of mixed religions in there. And because it was mixed, it would have been in more like an unclean place in many regards. So to be from the region of Galilee was not good. And I don't know how you relate to that. But for me, growing up, uh, growing up, living in Minnesota, living in South Minneapolis for a long time, there were areas of South Minneapolis that were gang-infested, drug-related, or out-and-out just plain old pagan. And so if you said you were from a certain area of South Minneapolis, that'd be like, oh, Galilee. Do you understand that? There were areas that's like, that was not good. Now, let's put that on top of the city of Nazareth. It's really even hard to call it a city, the town. Nazareth was this isolated little village of less than 200 people. It was a no-name place on the wrong side of the tracks. So if you think about this, to say that Jesus, the king, came, would be have family from Galilee of Nazareth was not a good thing. He would have already had a couple strikes against him. But God chose that, didn't he? Specifically, it's called out. And you find that Jesus himself was one who was despised from the very beginning. Just not later on, but from the very beginning. I mean, Phil, uh, Nathaniel famously said to Philip, can anything good come from Nazareth? He, that was a despised place. And we also know from our reading in Isaiah chapter 53, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one who men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So from the very beginning, God prepared a place that he would come from that people would already despise him. So now let's take a look at the family. Verse 27, to virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Well, first of all, I want to actually start off with the section about the house of David, because this is actually very important. Coming from the house of David, you find that it is referenced not only in Luke, but in Matthew. And if you've gone to our Bible studies, both in Luke, which is on Wednesdays, and Matthew, which is on Thursday, Thursday evening, we've talked about this. 
and how important the lineage was going back to King David. As a matter of fact, the genealogy in Matthew shows that Joseph goes all the way back to David and that you find here in Luke that Mary goes back all the way to David. So what's important about the house of David? It is because God, many, many years ago, thousand years ago, from the time of Joseph and Mary, made a covenant, a promise to King David. And this is the promise. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So what was promised? Gabriel said this. He said, verse 30, 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. If you want to reference something in your Bible, if you want to highlight something, go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, highlight these verses. This is the promise that God made to David fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This is why the lineage is so important. God, to the detail, prepared the way. So now let's focus on Mary. says, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. This goes back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there's the prophecy already given, prepared by God, fulfilled in Mary. Now, some days... Now, some people today say that Mary wasn't a virgin and that actually the prophecy from Isaiah says, well, it was really a, she was a handmaiden, not a virgin. I'll be blunt. Nonsense. Nonsense. There's the prophecy in Isaiah and it's called out specifically that she is a virgin twice in one verse. And then Mary also says, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And there's no question that she is saying that she is a virgin, which means she had no relationship with a man. But why is this so important? Why is it important that she was a virgin? I mean, we talk about that, right? We have that in the Apostles' Creed. We have in our creeds. We say that. Why is that important? It's important for a couple reasons. One, God is fulfilling his word. God is fulfilling his prophecy, what he has prepared beforehand. The second is, is that the conception of Jesus becomes a true miracle. Not just this story that was made up, but a true miracle occurred. It is the power of God who came over her. And the third point is, it means that Jesus did not, was not born under original sin. 
that she was con- that he was conceived in a miraculous manner means that he was not born under original sin, which meant that he truly did le- le- live a sinless life. That he is the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Is the virgin birth in conception important? And birth important? You bet it is. So with Mary, God showed favor on her. It says in our verse, verse 28, starting 28 and going through 30, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So you will often hear, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, Hail Mary, full of grace, right? You've, you've heard that. You might have even said that at some point. The trouble with that is our ears hear one thing, and there's a, I believe, a mistranslation when we say, Hail Mary, full of grace. First of all, when we say hail, it sounds so regal, doesn't it? it I mean, in our language nowadays, we don't, do you say, Hail, good fellow. No, you, you just say hi, hello, right? Do you know why we say hi or hello? Because in the original language, it meant hello or greetings. It was a salutation. So in the Latin, it became hail. And in the King James, it sounds so fancy, hail. But it's just hello. It's good morning. How are you? Greetings. That one's not too hard, but our ears want to make that into something regal, and it's not. The other part that's more difficult is this, full of grace. When we say full of grace, our ears take that to mean that Mary's nature inherently was full of grace, that somehow inside of her, she had grace, But that's not what the text actually says. When you take a look at the original language, there's one word, and it means this. It means to be made accepted. To be made accepted. So what you find here is this. God didn't find grace within Mary. Rather, he bestowed his grace upon her. It's an outer aspect. God favored, blessed Mary. He bestowed it upon her. Not because she was so holy or perfect or deserved it. God found and made her accepted. God gave her his favor. This is actually good news for us. And by the way, this does not lower Mary. She's still blessed. I mean, think about that. To give birth to Jesus. So we do see her as blessed, but we don't take her above where Scripture places her. The thing about this is, it's good news for us. Because God takes imperfect vessels... He takes flawed vessels, 
And in his grace, he takes people who have fallen and uses them for his holy purpose. That's it. In his grace, God takes people who are fallen or less than perfect and uses them for his holy and perfect purposes. That should be good news. It's good news for me. I don't know. It's good news for you. Because I take a look at that and I say, well, yep, fallen, less than perfect. You bet. And still, God uses us for his purpose. So do you understand? Do you see how God has prepared even where they were from, Galilee, Nazareth? He has prepared Mary and Joseph coming from the line of David. He has prepared and, and has Mary, who is a virgin, and he has bestowed favor upon her. And now let's talk about the son. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we've already talked a little bit, right, about Jesus coming from the line of David. We've also talked a little bit about the prophecy in Isaiah about the virgin giving birth. Let's go to that one just a little bit more, though. So in Isaiah, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Luke, it says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So very, very similar, right? Behold simply means look, pay attention. Well, is the virgin going to conceive and bear a son? Yes, because Mary is a virgin and she will conceive and bear a son. I want to focus on the last two parts, though, because the last one says, and you shall call his name and his name and and shall call his name Emmanuel and you shall call his name Jesus. Last week, I mentioned that names are important to God. If you were here, you remember that names are important to God. Zachariah and Elizabeth were specifically told to name their son who? John. John, he became John the Baptist. But John means, do you remember what John means? God has found favor. So here, John's name is important. God has found favor, and he is going to then share and proclaim that favor to the nation of Israel. Now we have two names for Jesus. He has more than two names, but two names for Jesus. One is Emmanuel. Okay, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Now let's go to the name of Jesus because we're going to tie all this in together. We're going to tie Isaiah and Luke together and the names of Jesus. Jesus. Now, there's a lot more to it than this, how we got the name Jesus and how we say Jesus. But Jesus is Yeshua, which is Hebrew or Aramaic. That's how you would say Jesus, Yeshua. But there's more than that. If you take a look at Yeshua, it's actually a shortened, slightly changed form of the word Yehoshua, which is Joshua. Okay? And now, what does Joshua mean? Joshua really means the Lord is salvation or the Lord 
saves. That's Jesus' name. The Lord saves. What an appropriate name, right? So when you've got Emmanuel and Jesus together, it is God came to be with us and save us from our sin. By the way, you don't even have to remember all that. Because I know it's a lot of names and like, well, I don't know Hebrew, Aramaic, and it gets a little scary. All you have to do is go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew says this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save, he, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All you have to do is read scripture, and you will know the full name of Jesus. Now, he came, God came to be with us. In the muck and mire of the world, God came to be with us and save us from our sin. That's the name of Jesus. The Lord is salvation. Now, Jesus has many titles, right? Anybody know what Jesus' last name is? Good, because I don't. I don't know what it is. Often people will say, Christ, isn't it? No, Christ is the title. Jesus, it used to be Jesus the Christ, which is Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one of God. That's what that means, Christ. We often say Christ Jesus. But he has another title too. Verse 32, he says, he will be great and be called son of the most high. Most high is another name for God. And we talk about the most high, right? Is there anything above most high? There isn't, is there? It's God above all. And we've been actually just worked on the first article of the creed. I believe in God the Father, right? God over all. So when we say most high, that is the sovereignty, the majesty, the creative power, the preserving power of God. So when we say son of the most high, it does not mean that Jesus is lower than that. It means that he has the same exact attributes as God the Father. He is God. The Jews of the day would have known that. They would have said that title would be blasphemous unless it were true. And the greatness that Jesus has here, and he will be called great and will be called son of the most high. What's the greatness of God? We think about Jesus and all the miracles he did, but what's the greatness of God? And the irony is here is something that we don't expect It's his humility. It's his total service to God the Father and the plan of salvation. His humbleness is his greatness. It says this in Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this Advent, are you preparing yourself to receive your King? The one, Emmanuel, God saves us, who comes to us. Are you preparing to receive his glory, his kingdom which has no end? That's a very different spirit of preparation, isn't it? There's no mention of presents. There's no mention of banquets or greeting cards or anything like that. Are you preparing to receive the son of the most high God, your king? See, let's learn from Mary and her response to Gabriel, preparing your heart. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according. Let it be to me according to your word. Unlike last week with Zechariah, his response was like, really? It was a spirit of disbelief. Mary had the opposite reaction. It was not a spirit of disbelief at all. It was a spirit of trying simply to comprehend how could this all be? How could this all be? And we can learn much from Mary. So first of all, she humbled herself before the Lord. She said, I'm a servant. Let this be according to your word. She didn't argue. She simply humbled herself. She also pondered the words that were spoken. We find that she meditates on God's word given to her through Gabriel. And what she really did is she trusted in God's word. She trusted him for he is a gracious God. She trusted his word. She trusted all the prophecies that had been fulfilled and were to be fulfilled. See, if you want a checklist, if you want to prepare for Advent, maybe for a while, forget of all the other stuff that the culture teaches. Be like Mary. Humble yourself before Christ. Meditate upon his word. Read, read the gospel of Luke, the account of the birth of Christ. And then trust. I have shown you point after point after point, God's prophecy and then fulfilled. Trusting in his preparation, his precision, his love and grace for you. Let every heart prepare him room. That's what we're going to sing later, aren't we? That's what Advent is. May you be blessed in your Advent preparation. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. 
If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.